The Gist is brought to you by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere, using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com gist. That's texture.com gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, January 4th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Happy New Year. You might have heard that when I said 2016. Over the new year, a lot of people tweeted me this sentiment. Hey, Mike, you said Hillary Clinton lied in that debate when she said that Donald Trump's statements were being used for propaganda purposes. But look, look, Mike, look at this. That new video from the militant group Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda's affiliate in Somalia, shows Trump at a campaign rally calling to ban Muslims entering the U.S. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown. All right, a couple things. One... Donald J. Trump. I love that. Do you know that Homer J. Simpson is called Homer J. Simpson as a tribute to Bullwinkle J. Moose and Rocky J. Squirrel? It's true. Donald J. Trump picks up that illustrious trend. But here's the main thing I wanted to say. Just because it eventually came true doesn't mean that it was accurate when Hillary said it a couple of weeks ago. Here's an analogy. Let's say one day thousands of Muslims assemble on New Jersey rooftops to celebrate Trump's collapse in the Iowa caucuses. Now, it doesn't mean that those Muslims were up there 15 years ago celebrating the Twin Towers collapse. Sometimes an analogy really brings things to life. Anyway, I just also wanted you to hear how ABC set up that little news report. Here, here's the opening of the anchor talking. Tonight, the GOP frontrunner is breaking his silence. Breaking his silence. Trump's silence. I guess that's the pause while he gulps for air to give his next interview. Donald Trump, who has $34 million to spend but says he can't spend it because he gets so much free media coverage, he feels guilty that he's taking out ads. He's breaking his silence. Donald J. Trump not only breaking his silence, but he's also daring to go out on a limb of political incorrectness and finally adopting a tone that some describe as pointed also orange. On the show today, in the spiel, I break my silence over the Oregon militia. Why? Because there's been no spiel for the last five days, and that's when the Oregon militia sprang up. I will cross-promote right now. I will cross-promote my sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, and I will mention there is a very good Oregon militia joke as related to the Alamo Bowl, that joke available to Slate Plus subscribers. In fact, if you heard this before you heard that, that joke substantially stepped on for Slate Plus subscribers. So while I will make sport of the Oregon militia here in the spiel, I will not be talking sports and the Oregon militia. But before that, I will do an interview where I talk about an insidious cartel that was heretofore blamed for the woes of Americans, but is now being credited with providing Americans a desired product at a low cost. No, it is not the NCAA and college football. I told you, that's the wrong podcast. I speak of OPEC, all things OPEC, right here, right now. So one thing you should know about me is I read a lot, and the thing I read the most is probably magazines. Why? Well, with a newspaper, you're like, that's good, but I want more. And with a book, you're like, that's okay, but I'd have liked less. When a magazine does it right, it really does it at the right length. Here's my problem. If you know me, you know I got actual physical magazines out the wazoo. 
Enter Texture. In fact, enter texture.com slash gist. Texture is unlimited access to all your favorite magazines for less than the price of three magazines as they're sold on the grocery stand. What kind of magazines? Well, they kind of have every magazine and its opposite. Like they have Bon Appetit, but they also have Weight Watchers. Like they have Outdoor Life, but they also have Good Housekeeping. Like they have Men's Fitness, but they also have Men's health. Wait, how are those the opposite? Well, they have very different. One says you got to work your abs every day. The other says your abs are like a muscle and you got to rest them. I read both. They have popular mechanics, popular photography, popular science, and unpopular cockroaches. I'm just told they have discontinued their relationship with unpopular cockroaches. But what it allows you to do is browse hundreds of magazines and cherry pick the articles that most interest you. They have an editorial team to help guide you through what you like. They figure out what you like and recommend other things. You can sign up right now in mere seconds and get insider access. So, you know, stop wasting time flipping through pages and stop wasting paper and stop wasting your money. Get texture today. Here's the offer to my listeners, a free trial right now. Why wouldn't you want to try hundreds of magazines at texture.com slash gist? Unlimited, unrestricted access to the world's best magazines. I've just read you a few titles. Take advantage of the offer right now when you go to texture.com slash gist. Oil is low, which is a good thing if you are a U.S. consumer. In general, low oil prices pretty much act as a tax cut, though. They're not really acting that way because U.S. consumers don't quite believe it's going to last. Will it last? Well, that's a question for OPEC, for Saudi Arabia, maybe for shale producers in the United States. But more to the point for us on this program, it's a question I'm going to put to Robert Weiner, who's a professor of international business at George Washington, an oil expert. And you're going to have to uh, bring me up to speed on some basic things. Is that okay, Professor Weiner? Yes. Okay, so I understand. I know what OPEC is. It's an international conglomerate. And I know that Saudi Arabia really is the uh, the biggest player in OPEC. But I guess what I'm not understanding is, with oil prices so low, can't the cartel, can't OPEC, just change its output and pretty much manipulate oil prices to be higher? In fact, isn't this why cartels exist? In fact, it could very well do that, but it would be against its own interest. The way that cartels manipulate prices is by cutting output. So Saudi Arabia could easily cut output a lot. Mm -hmm. Prices would go up, but Saudi Arabia would not receive any revenue for the oil that it wasn't selling. And so it's actually in the interest of Saudi Arabia and OPEC to keep prices low. I understand it. If they cut costs so low, they'll drive higher-cost competitors out of business. Businesses do this all the time, or would if it weren't illegal, but that's the benefit of having an international cartel, I guess. Are they right? Do you think that if oil prices remain this low, and for how long, that the people who are mining shale or tar sands or whatever are just going to throw in the towel? Eventually, they'll have to throw in the towel, but it will take a while. I think one of the things that the Saudis didn't realize when they started on this uh, strategy a little more than a year ago is the ingenuity and the innovation of the people in the oil industry in North America. People have been able to cut costs and increase the productivity of shale oil wells dramatically. And so they've hung in there a lot longer than people expected, and they probably can continue to do that for a while. However, nothing lasts forever, and eventually they'll run out of money. The question is, How long? It's very hard to know something like that, but at current prices, one would guess that in the next 
no, no sooner than a year or no more than three years, their production will start to fall substantially, and that will then benefit Saudi Arabia. They're just the giant gorilla. They have a lot of money, and they can outlast the shale producers. Well, tell me about some of those other OPEC countries. I mean, the, the government of Venezuela is falling apart. I'm sure they'd like higher oil prices. Putin would like higher oil prices. The Norwegians would probably like high, higher oil prices. Venezuelans have been knocking on the door saying, we need higher oil prices, we need higher oil prices, we need higher oil prices. But no one really has much incentive to listen to them, and they don't have any clout or influence with anyone. The Norwegians have a gigantic amount of money stored up, even if the price of oil fell to zero, they have enough money in the bank to last them for years. Norway is a population of less than 5 million people. They don't need high oil prices. They don't need to sell any oil at all. So the real question is, who is in danger? Which countries are the ones that might have social unrest? And there you look for countries that have a lot of poor people. You think of countries like Nigeria, which has a lot of people, a lot of oil, but not that much oil for per person. The other country that's very relevant for Saudi Arabia is Iran. Iran has a lot of oil, but has many, many more people than Saudi Arabia, and is trying to get back into the game. Saudi Arabia and Iran are regional rivals, and the more oil Iran gets, the more they can invest in the military, and then the more anxiety that causes in Saudi Arabia. So a year, you know, a year and a half ago, oil's at, for, for years, it was at over $100 or near $100. Now it's at $36. How much of the price of oil is the manipulations of OPEC and how much is if there was no cartel and everything was just, you know, pretty much sold, let's say, according to the invisible hand of the open market as Adam Smith decreed, how different would the price be, would you oh, say? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Nobody could tell exactly. But if you really had an Adam Smith-type world where countries just said, anybody who wants to can look for oil here, all they have to do is pass tax in the royalty, just like in the United States, then the price of oil would probably go towards its marginal cost of production in the places that were most efficient, which would be the Middle East, and a reasonable guess would be the price would be about $20 a barrel. And so while everybody grumbles about OPEC, the fact that OPEC has raised the price, whether to $100 a year and a half ago or $35. Now, that's what keeps the high-cost countries in business, including the 9 billion barrels a day of the United States, which would be close to zero if it weren't for OPEC. In effect, the United States shelters under the OPEC umbrella, and that explains a lot of why you have production in high-cost areas. And I guess my last question is, does all of this give lie to the people who are saying we've reached peak oil? Well, they, you know, it's funny. Nobody ever says, I'm wrong. They've basically changed their thing. They said, we've run out of cheap oil, and what we're doing is now we're pulverizing the earth uh-huh. in order to produce oil, which is sort of true. And I think that even though you've seen those, wait, 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 wait. you've seen those, you've seen those drills, you've seen those rigs in wherever Saudi Arabia or the uh, 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 oil fields in Midland, Texas. It's not like the old oil wasn't pulverizing the earth. Yeah, no, but it's just, it's, Fracking is much more. It used to be that oil flowed out of permeable rocks, which means it flowed out of space in the rocks. Now we blast the rocks to smithereens in order to to get it, um, when it takes a lot of water. I think when the peak oil people have changed their tune to say something like, the world is running out of or has run out of cheap oil. Mm -hmm. What we have is more and more expensive, difficult, and environmentally dirty oil. And that's true not only in the United States. That's also true in the Middle East, where a lot of the low-cost oil the lowest-cost fields have been exploited for decades are running out, and even the Middle Eastern countries are using higher tech. And so if 20 years ago, if you said, all right, in the Adam Smith scenario, what would the price of oil be if it was just equal to its cost? 
cost, it would be $5. Now it's probably $20. Robert Weiner is a professor of international business at George Washington University. Thank you. What kind of car do you drive? What kind of car do I drive? Let's see. I drive a minivan because I have three kids, but it's relatively fuel efficient, especially considering where it has to go. Not bad. All right. How about you? I, I, I'm, I'm great. My carbon footprint's pure. I live in New York City and only take mass transportation and bicycles. <laughs> Good for you. I win. <laughs> for the past year, just listener Frank Kennedy has been training with moth champion Matthew Dix, training on how to tell a story. Well, on January 15th, he'll be telling the story for the first time live on stage. Come down and see it if you're in the New York area. It's a science storytelling night. It's called Story Collider. January 15th at the Crane with a K Theater in NYC's East Village. Slate Plus members are invited to join us for complimentary happy hour before the show. For a ticket link and for information about joining Slate Plus, so you can go to the happy hour, go to slate.com slash live. The happy hour starts the KGB bar at 6.30. The show starts at 8. It's downstairs from the bar. RSVPs to the happy hour are free, but tickets to the Story Collider are not included in your RSVP. That's a lot of details. Listen, just join Slate Plus or go to the show, slate.com slash live. I'll be there. Moth Grand Slam champion Aaron Barker will be there. Rachel Maddow shows in-house astrophysicist Summer Ash will be there. And physicist turned storyteller Ben Lilly will be there. Stories about science and whatever science I could shoehorn into my story. That's slate.com slash live for tickets. And now the spiel, Oregonisis. Oregon protesters armed anti-government ranchers. By the way, Armed anti-government ranchers is a triply redundant phrase. They've taken over a wildlife building to protest the federal government's desire to make a convicted arsonist serve more jail time. Here, Oregon's KOIN-TV takes us inside the compound. Protesters at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge gave us a tour of the now-occupied headquarters. There is a, a, a wonderful uh, cook shack. And um, that's where they, they fix the meals. And Inside a kitchen, we found one of the members making soup. Like a giant dorm, college dorm, I suppose. The protest is not so benign as all that, says the local sheriff in a statement read by KOIN. These men had alternative motives to attempt to overthrow the county and federal government in hopes to spark a movement across the United States. Overthrow the government. Well, that certainly takes us from soup to nuts, doesn't it? Now, others are saying that these guys should be called terrorists. What with their soup making and their college dorm nesting, they're kind of the pajama party of God. CNN national security analyst Juliette Kayem, who is a professor at Harvard and a former assistant secretary in the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, writes, face it, Oregon building takeover is terrorism. And yet somehow here I am feeling less than terrorized. Do you know why? Because before these guys are terrorists, they're nudniks. Now, we have sent some nudnik-type individuals to jail for terrorism. I'm thinking about the dimwit who thought he could bomb the New York subways. I'm talking about those Miami guys who wanted jumpsuits with their terrorism. Those guys were nudniks, too, by the way. Potentially, they were one day dangerous nudniks, but nudniks nonetheless. I say this to point out that nudnickery and terrorism are not mutually exclusive necessarily, but they are generally different phylum to say nothing of species. 
In addition to Juliet Kayem, we have at the Washington Post, Janelle Ross saying, quote, if a group of armed Muslims took possession of a federal building or even its lobby to protest calls to surveil the entire group, it's even more doubtful they could avoid harsher, more alarming labels. I do wonder if those are the same hypothetical Muslims that Trump saw on the rooftops. Anyway, if they were Muslims or, as some others have said, if they were black, if the circumstances were different, then maybe the labels we use to describe those circumstances would also be different. And it doesn't make those labels correct or accurate. Just because we overuse the terrorist label as regards Muslims doesn't mean we should overuse it as regards nudnik ranchers. By the way, it is cold out there in Oregon. The Oregon high desert I don't even think I knew that Oregon had a desert. But what are all these guys wearing? You've seen them on the news. They're all wearing a cowboy hat. No earmuffs, no gator. Their faces are all cold, and they're outside all day. Like I said, these guys are nudniks. Terrorists, on the other hand, seek to advance their political aims via violence, namely indiscriminate violence aimed at civilians. There so far has been no violence. The buildings were empty to begin with and it is federal land, there is not a whiff of civilian harm in the air. There are vows that they don't want violence, and there is some bluster, troublesome bluster, but bluster nonetheless about standing their ground. I think overall, we need to call this terrorism. It's less a semantic argument than a philosophical one. I do think we overlabel violent acts as terrorism. I don't think the solution to that is to extend the label to even more acts, to even nonviolent acts, and overlabel them terrorism. Why would we give these Oregon guys these, what's the word? Oh, yes, these nudniks the power to say they're terrorizing us. Now, I guess you could argue that, look, labeling them terrorists would eventually destroy the definition of terrorism. Really? Because in police states like Russia or Chile under Pinochet, just about every enemy of the government was labeled a terrorist. And guess what? The label did not fall away because of overuse. It expanded to fit ridiculous examples. Hey, you know who also overuses the rhetoric of terror and terrorism? Rancher Eamon Bundy. We want the, con- the, the government to abide by the Constitution, abide by the, the authorities in which the people have given it and to to play by the rules so that the people can can live and and prosper without fear and without being terrorized he's wrong about the government terrorizing us and you'd be wrong were you to assert that he's terrorizing the government now here's the last word and i hate to give it to an insurrectionist a militia member but here is one who koin quoted just be respectful be a good neighbor don't tear anything up Well, I would hate for my armed neighbor to occupy my living room, even if he did cook soup and play Pictionary in the common area. I would hate it. I would call him a lot of names, but terrorist would not be one of them. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi wandered into an empty Carvel three minutes before closing and demanded a Fudgy the Whale when they were out of Fudgy the Whale. But if she were a Tamil tiger demanding Sri Lankan independence, we'd probably call her something other than drunk on New Year's. As a child, just executive producer Andy Bowers sat atop the quarter-operated horse outside a Safeway. But if that horse were a condor, an actual real-life condor, We'd cite it not as an act of childlike cuteness, but animal cruelty. The gist, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash slate gist, or you can email us at the gist at slate.com. My Twitter is at P-E-S-C-A-M-I. 
The gist, in a lively game of Magic the Gathering over the holidays, I utilized a Drift of Phantasms card to defend myself against Ugin the Spirit Dragon. But if I were using an AK-47 against a perceived slight, well, then I might be called something other than Arcanus the Omnipotent. Umpuru depuru dupuru, and thanks for listening.